So welcome back to the Birdie Bug Pod, episode 26. So what we're chatting about today? Well, something a little bit different, not a species episode, but back to the uh, more environmentally focused topics and one that's not, not necessarily delicate, but that we need to approach in a... We have to be diplomatic. Yeah, diplomatic is probably the right word because we are pet owners yes. and we will be discussing the sort of environmental impact of our pets. They also have a little carbon footprint just like us and rather than demonising it because we're very fond of our pets, it's more of a look at how we can mitigate their impact and some of the decisions yes. that we I think make. it's quite a good one because we are pet owners and we are very fond of them. Very fond of our cats. We are aware the issues around them so it's actually quite a an interesting one for yeah, us and we can talk about it as pet owners yeah and we? i very much view it from if we're trying to minimize the household carbon footprint whether it's reducing our coffee waste our cats are part of or whatever Absolutely. pets you have a part of your household and it's just looking at some of the issues there's also this is coming off the back of some research that i wanted to touch on which is quite surprising. And so it's a way of sort of educating people on things they might not even and, think and about. And let's face it, you just want to get another plug for the Rivers Trust in there. Yeah, obviously. You? We'll find that. And, and there's a little bit that's relevant to that. Exactly. So it works so, perfectly, doesn't it? Oh, it's almost like it was planned. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be, it's just something a bit different. It should yeah. hopefully be interesting and also uh, hopefully quite helpful. Yeah. It's been a while since we've looked at a purely environmental topic with almost like advice or, or solutions yes. um, that, again, everybody can... Well, everybody well I think pet. also it might it just brings a little bit of awareness of maybe, you know, there are things in here that I hadn't thought of, actually, um, when, you know, looking after my cat um, or cats. So it may just raise some points that people I think, oh, actually, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's what we're hoping. Uh, we're, we're not obviously trying to uh, isolate... <laughs> Or demonise. Yeah, we're certainly not uh, demonising pet, um, pet owners as we've had pets. I mean, I've had a whole variety of pets my, my whole life. And I mean, I you're talking to a man who's had cockroaches. They're very environmentally friendly. Um, and spiders. Also very environmentally, sort of, actually. Um, and snakes. Yeah. Quite a few pets. And rats. Yeah. And rabbits. And rabbits. And fish. All sorts. Um, <laughs> but I, like, I, I firm believer that a house isn't a house without a cat. you have a hamster once? Yeah, we had hamsters as well. Yeah, I liked my snake. He was he was he was called Severus Snake. It he was, was he was beautiful, actually. Fantastic name. Amazing to watch him feed as well. So yes, talking anyway. about the environmental impact of our pets, what we can do to try and reduce that impact. Um, hopefully, it's useful and yeah. hopefully it's diplomatic. Yeah. Um, catch up. Got anything? Not a lot. I spent a week in a van in Devon, which was nice. Um, and you, your your legs hurt. A My bit legs swollen. hurt because I ran a half marathon yesterday without any training, which is always clever. Um, Wildlife-wise, I was really excited to hear a tawny owl while we were camping in the van. Came home and last night from our own window heard a tawny owl. What a so lovely sound that is! That was really nice. Isn't it? Um, is, is there any sweeter sound than a tawny owl? I don't know. I mean, we went paddleboarding and obviously you got the sound of the curlews, which yes, is also well, of course I also well, lovely. Well known um, on here that I'm a curlew fan. fan. But otherwise, yeah, I've, I've taken a week off work to be in a van in a field during apocalyptic yeah. wind and rain. Well, I, I've done one little shift on um, the uh, Ranger, a shift on uh, a Pagham. But apart from that, it's been pretty much raining cats and dogs, isn't it? That's a funny expression, isn't it, raining cats and dogs? Have you got the history of it? Well, no, I tried to find the history of raining cats and dogs, and actually nobody really knows for sure, but the 
the general consensus of opinion is that rainstorms in the 17th century carried bodies of dead animals through the dirty streets inspiring people to say it's raining cats and dogs and that's there were some early references in literature to that as well albeit it wasn't cats in those days it was polecats they used to say it's raining polecats and dogs interesting which was interesting but nobody knows for sure where it actually originated from and i've tried to find it and that's what i've come up that's the closest you could get that's the closest i'll take it yeah so i thought that so um so yeah, because it's the weather's been pretty rubbish. Um, I've been painting the house. I mean, so, I was we we had to turn the van around because the rain was coming at yeah. a funny angle and huddle under the boot so I could make dinner and a coffee. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it's been pretty pretty dramatic, hasn't it? Just so, pleased I wasn't in a tent. Yeah, but so apart from that, because it's been raining, I've been painting the house. So um, nothing really fun, to be honest. Well, we might as well go straight into it because I've got a lot. Of, a You've lot got to a say lot on to say, topic. haven't you? You've yeah. probably got a lot more to say than me, actually. So. Okay, let's crack on. Um, do, I wanted to just start, if you would let me start, I just a little start. bit on. I was going to do a little bit on the domestication of dogs and cats in this country and how far back it goes. And I'll be very brief. Um, All right. Well, the countdown clock is ticking. With yeah, the music. <laughs> countdown clock. Um, dogs apparently were first domesticated about ten thousand. BC, so they've been around quite a long time. Um, the oldest European dog remains were found in Yorkshire, and they were dated 7500 BC. Um, and humans worked out that by trial and error, by breeding dogs um, selectively, they could breed them for certain traits for certain jobs. Yeah, like guard dogs so around a campfire. different or... shapes and sizes for specific tasks, such as protection and hunting and guarding livestock and pulling things, you know, like sledges and stuff. So that's how the different breeds originated. There are now over 400 breeds of dogs worldwide. Do you know when the first Crufts show was held? How uh, far back do you think 1904. That was? Well, you weren't far off, 1886. Hmm. And, of course, they are related to wolves, albeit... Distantly. Um, yeah, there are species that descended from a now extinct wolf-like creature. Um so uh that's dogs so they've been here for quite a while um cats cats you know cats are the most popular pet animal in the and world rightly so <laughs> that's potentially uh not it, diplomatic but i like cats it's believed they came in to europe about three thousand years ago everybody thinks they originated from egypt it, apparently it was greek and phoenician traders that brought them in probably they came from egypt but in Britain, Romans brought them into Britain and they were used for uh, pest control and vermin control. Romans used them a lot, apparently. Um, but when they left, they left when Romans left Britain, they left a lot of the cats behind. Vikings came in, invaded Britain. Put them on boats. Cause took cats back to Norway. Good luck. Um, and then in the Middle Ages, uh, they were... They had a little spell in the Middle Ages where they were associated with witchcraft. So they, 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 they got... Persecuted. Persecuted and um, and massacred in the hundreds of thousands, apparently. And there is, uh, there is a theory that the slaughtering of cats in the Middle Ages led to the rat population increasing, which then led to the bubonic plague. See, it's all bad so we if you kill a cat. Cats. <laughs> uh, they then came back to popularity about the 1500s, domesticated in America in about the 1700s, and the rest, as they say, is history. We have a lot of them. There are about... Well, in the last 
count, which was back in 2019, there's estimated to be 34 million pets in the UK, 12 million dogs, 12 million cats, and 3.2 million small animals. Hmm. That's a lot of pets. And then that will now lead me on to their considerable carbon paw print on the globe. Yes. And over to you. Okay, well, I think it's fair to say we, we often overlook the environmental impact of our pets. A lot of us take quite a lot of steps in our lives to try and reduce our own footprint yeah. and probably sort of forget about the furry little creatures that we share our houses with. And obviously climate change impacts everything and everyone, and that includes our pets. Um, from an actual pet health point of view, things like heat waves and rising infectious diseases from climate change actually can harm our pets. So they get impacted from climate change yeah. negatively. Um, but the pet industry also adds to the actual climate stress. It's so, actually quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, as far as um, a few numbers, I've got an average-sized cat. Which I'm not sure what an average-sized cat is, but let's say, I don't know, four kilos, uh, can produce about 310 kilograms of carbon dioxide annually. An average-sized dog generates about 770 kilograms of carbon dioxide annually. And an even bigger dog can emit upwards of 2,500 kilograms of carbon dioxide, which is about twice as much as the emissions from an average family car for a year. Yeah, that surprised me, <laughs> that stat. I've got that very stat written down here, and that actually really did surprise me. Yeah, and I mean... We, we said a little bit right at the beginning, like the preamble, that it is quite important to know that we are we are pet owners ourselves. We're, we're cat lovers more than dogs, um, and we love them. Um, and we're mainly looking at ways that we can help reduce our impact on the planet by reducing their impact. Um, and we're not here to say people shouldn't have pets or demonise them because my life is thoroughly enriched by my cat. But yes. it's just ways of making sure we're, we're responsible. Cat, I love him to pieces. Mm. He is one of the best things. Um, just really quickly, we are focusing quite heavily on cats and dogs being, as you, with your numbers, some of the most common pets. Yeah. Uh, they're also potentially some of the worst environmentally, other than things like horses. Um, but there are actually some environmentally friendlier pet options. If you haven't got a pet and you're looking to get one, the number one spot is a tortoise. It's got to be a tortoise, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? There are it's obviously, got to have a pretty low-carbon footprint, a tortoise, The caveat it? is, it depends where you get it from. If you're taking them from the wild, yeah. then there's a different sort of ecological impact, um, and you can talk about the ethics of breeding them. But as far as pure carbon footprint, tortoises are pretty low. Um, just give them some letters. Yeah, the thing you have to think about, about the tortoise, though, they is they live, live about 100 years. So if, you, if you're 60 and you buy a tortoise, they're probably going to outlive It's going to be an heirloom. Um, <laughs> yeah, going to have to pass it down through the estate. Yeah, the, the other options are things like rabbits, uh, guinea pigs. I've actually got uh, goats, chickens and ducks as well because their diets are mainly plant-based or they'll forage for some critters. Yeah, because when we're talking about the carbon footprint of dogs and cats, we're primarily talking about the fact that they eat meat. On yeah, them. and other things, but yes. Yeah. Um, but the, the more eco-friendly pets do predominantly eat the plants. And, and also some of those animals, you know, their waste can be used as fertilisers. So you're not worried quite so much about disposal methods, which is another problem. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't got a pet and you want to be super eco-friendly, get like a little rabbit or a tortoise or something. Yeah. Um, but we will, from here on out, pretty much be focused on the, on the two big contenders often a, a bit of a battle are you a cat or a dog person we're looking at both um we are a little bit biased because we're cat people because they're better <laughs> <laughs>
You have to be careful. Yeah, though, yeah. I have actually spent a week in a van with a dog, and he was he was lovely. And was he smelly? He was a bit smelly, but he'd also been in the in the yeah, sea once quite that, a lot. Well, that's what I mean. Once you yeah. got wet dog, what was that in Monsters Inc? Well, yeah, they used to have a deodorant. aerosol, didn't they? A wet dog. Uh, he was yeah. lovely, and I did wake up with him on my chest. So I, I'm a fan of both. What the first issue you've obviously already alluded to it is their food. Yeah. And this is both the production um, of, of their food and what it is that they eat, as well as how much we feed them um, and the waste around pet food as well. Uh, I've actually got... I'll, I'll caveat a lot of my information here. Most of the research I found was quite US-based, and we normally are very UK-based as far as our facts and yeah. figures because it's where we live. Yeah. Um, it seems like a lot of this research has come out of uh, American universities, so we'll have to sort of extrapolate and, and just see how it relates to the uk but a lot of these stats are, are from america well when you just also just to put some perspective into the pet ownership globally they reckon that there are nearly a quarter of a billion pets globally that is a lot quarter of a billion yeah, that is a lot across the world and of course the environmental impact of a quarter of a billion it's quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, it still pales in comparison to the environmental impact of nearly 10 billion humans yeah. and yeah. the 80 billion livestock, However, for example. Says, I've got a stat here saying pets are estimated to eat 20% of the world's meat and fish. Yeah, so that is one of the biggest issues with cats and dogs, as yeah. you mentioned, is that they are quite big meat eaters. Um, and I've actually got that apparently... Our pets' meat consumption generates roughly 64 million tonnes of carbon yeah. dioxide per year in the UK. If it was a country, if the pet food industry were a country, it would be the 60th biggest CO2 emitter globally yeah. I've got here. So um, it's, it's a lot, isn't it? And yeah. a lot of that, uh, has to be said, is coming from uh, the consumption of beef. Yeah, and I mean, that stat I just gave about the carbon dioxide emission from pets in the UK from their meat eating, it is the equivalent of eating, of eating, of driving 13.6 million cars yeah. each year. Just to put it as a, we always demonise cars and it's just a, a nice comparison. Yeah, so it is beef because apparently the carbon footprint of beef is nearly four times that of chicken and yeah. fish. And so um, that is the, the main offender. Yeah, and you, you would probably not think of them contributing quite so much to our meat consumption because people are big meat eaters as well. Yes, and we also think, to be fair, we also have this perception, and it's probably mostly true, is that uh, pet food is often made up of the sort of the offal. Yeah, and I mean the, the low and quality. the remains the low quality stuff that is rem that comes from processing. Yeah, and a lot for of, us, you know, so a, a lot of the low quality pet foods. Are, but yeah. a lot of people nowadays are a lot more conscious yes. about the food they're feeding They are looking pets. at meat content on the back of the yeah. packet, aren't they, to um, see what's actually in there now. It was quite interesting to find out that in the US, the diet of the pets actually contributes 25 to 30% of the environmental impact of the entire US meat consumption. So up to 30% of wow. that meat environmental impact is actually coming from pets and not yeah. people so it sort of just yeah. emphasizes how much of a, a contributor they are and apparently if all the 163 million cats and dogs in the u.s formed a separate country their nation would rank fifth in meat consumption wow so that that yeah sort of that's just the american cats and dogs so i guess those are the facts you know what what are the things that that we can do to reduce that 
with for our pets because obviously we have cats. They are carnivores. They yeah, and I mean you know, we I I mean I'm vegan. Yeah, I have to buy meat for my cat. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting and it's a tricky balance yeah. to um to sort of strike. So there's obviously just nowadays a lot more what would be called sustainable pet food brands. Yeah, and what sustainable means as far as pet food varies massively. Um, for dogs, it is now possible to feed them an entirely plant-based yes, diet. Yes, I read that. I, is, I was interested about in that. In fact, actually. the dog I spent the week with, my friend's dog, is he eats a vegan diet. Right. My friend is not vegan, but his uh, his dog has an unfortunate collection of allergies, and it took them a long time to work it out. But any meat, he loses his fur. And oh, he got okay. really itchy skin yeah. and lost his fur. And they, they did lots of trial and error. They thought it was just beef, so they dropped the beef. And then they thought... So they've, they've cut things out gradually. And after speaking to a vet, it turns out he's allergic to, to meat. Right. Um, and the vet recommended a, a plant-based kibble, which yeah. is a, a dry food. Um, I mean, he's... I'm quite fortunate because neither of my cats like the beef. Whenever I bought the beef pouches, they don't like it. Yeah. They are chicken and turkey. They don't even like fish. Um, so I'm quite fortunate in that respect. So it is possible. And people, you'll often see when these products are marketed, uh, people get very upset in the comments and think it's some sort of uh, animal abuse in, in trying to enforce a vegan diet onto a dog. However, the one that my friend uses was came vet recommended and has cured, not cured, but it stops his, his fur from falling out. So for dogs, actually the most sustainable food would be a, a plant-based yeah. uh, kibble. Um Cats, it is harder as far as the plant-based options because they are obligate carnivores. They, they, they need, need protein meat. as well. It's not, you it's, can get protein from plants. Yeah, it's but. not the protein. It's things like taurine and stuff right, like that. Okay. Um, whereas dogs are omnivorous, yeah. cats are carnivorous. There are plant-based foods for cats. The research on it is still uh, not particularly solidified. It's normally supplemented with, yeah. a, with a taurine, for example. I'm pretty sure it's taurine, but don't quote me on that. And just as a really quick caveat, this seems like a, a wise place to say it. We're not vets. Yeah. So if you are looking to change the diet of your pet, uh, whether it's a cat or dog, it is something to speak to your vet about. It's this. I'm just taking this from That's a good disclaimer research. you've yeah, done so, there. So, uh, um, if you're looking to do it, whether it's for your dog, which has there's so much research now yeah. about dogs on plants, the cat research is a, a little bit thinner just make sure you speak to your vet. It's the same as recommending medical things. We're, we're not Yeah, we're not I mean, there is, a, there is a huge amount online um, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, the same as everything. You can find out a ton of stuff. And it's but always, you have to be also quite careful of the things that you choose and the things yeah, that and you it's, it's, believe as well. So yeah, and getting like, recommendations is a really good thing. For yeah, me. and like you said, it's sometimes tricky as, as people who we don't eat meat, but we feed meat to our cats. We still have a responsibility of, of care yeah. over them. Uh, if... Plants aren't the way to go for cats. The other lower environmentally impact food is often insect protein based. I mean, cats will eat bugs and stuff in the garden anyway. Have you have you seen any of that? Yes, in pet shops because oh, I've seen haven't. It. I guess you can find, you can buy anything online. So I'm guessing you can go and buy insect yeah, based I, I have pet seen food it. online. I've never seen it in. But I think any I've seen pet shops. insect based pet um, insect based cat treats rather than like an actual right. full. Like a kibble. pouch or something, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that is something that's sort of up and coming. Yeah. A bit like nowadays, you see more like insect burgers for people. Um, beyond the actual like uh, plants or insects, like you've mentioned, it's minimising things like beef. Yeah, It's a tricky one because you'll find some resources will say that fish is slightly lower, but then fish comes with a horrendous environmental impact as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a tricky balance. Sometimes chicken would be viewed as yeah. more environmentally friendly. 
away from the actual ingredients, it's things like sourcing your food from suppliers that minimise pesticide use. Um, yeah. It's also looking at low emission manufacturing, sustainable packaging. You want things that are recyclable and yeah, not we go on sort of to, plastic. Yeah, we'll go on to packaging a bit. I've got a few facts about the packaging. Um, yeah, we'll get on to that with yeah, the, we'll get on that the plastic waste. Yeah. Um, the other really simple way of reducing the impact of cat and dog food is feed them a little bit less. So apparently 61% of cats and 59% of dogs are obese or overweight. So we do have a habit of overfeeding our pets. I, I have one of my tabbies quite chunky. Who, is, uh, who loves his food. He, he just loves his food and he worries all the time for it. And it's I'm a bit guilty. of a battle, isn't it? I'm guilty him... from time to time of going, oh, just give him some to take the edge off. Or, you know, my other cat is not bothered, but trying to balance the feeding of both of them at the same time where my other cat might walk away from half a bowl and next thing you know lamps will come up yeah. and scoff the lot and trying to keep an eye on that it is quite tricky it can be um but, um, if but you, that's a good point yeah i think um, if you read it's popped up on social media a lot actually like if you read the back of the packet of your like cat food for example yeah. the quantity you're supposed to give them is normally a lot less than what we do yes. give them and that also coincides with just waste like how much are we throwing out which means how much more packaging are we yeah. buying because we run out quicker yeah. so it's minimizing the waste and being efficient with your pet food as well but the the actual diet side is is trickier than the rest of these topics because it's so tightly linked to their health so it's a yeah it's a not quite such a quick fix because for example the dog i spent the week with has allergies so he's very it's fortunate that what he's limited to is environmentally friendly but if it was the other way around you can't obviously jeopardize your pet's health for the sake of no. a slightly lower carbon yeah. footprint. So it's a slightly trickier one for us to recommend, which is why we started with it, because it gets the tricky topic out, sort of out the way. Yeah. Um, but unless you've got anything else you want to mention on food? No, I think we've, we've pretty much covered covered that. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with a that. Lot, a lot of the food will now say whether or not it's sustainable or not, and it's just sort of keeping an eye. If, if it's 90% beef, maybe look for one that's I think there are a lot more of companies chicken. that are getting much more... Um, aware of that as well, yeah. and trying. It's Same not jumping everything. on the bandwagon. It's uh, it's you know it's happening in human food. It's also happening um, in supply and everything. And it's happening in everything, and I think it's becoming more and more not a fad. It's becoming more and more uh, critical and normalised. Normalised, definitely. I mean, you know, I'm I'm vegan. If I'd have been vegan six or seven years ago, it, it was incredibly difficult. It's much much easier now because. Uh, people yeah, whether, are becoming much more aware. Yeah, know? whether or not you're doing it from an ethical or an environmental point, certainly the environmental mindset is becoming normalised just because it's sort of essential now as climate change progresses. Yeah, and of course we're seeing climate change effects on a weekly basis. Now, yeah, flooding we? and droughts yeah, and everything. So anyway, anyway, that's a, that's another topic on, it, on its own. Yeah, the um, the next one I've got, which is... Actually, it goes again for both cats and dogs. Is that they do produce quite a lot of poo? Yeah, we've got this topic of waste, haven't we? They yeah. do create quite so, a lot of waste, whether it's plastic waste or, yeah, or fecal waste. I've got the plastic waste right at the bottom of our agenda. Yeah. But as far as the um, feces, 163 million dogs and cats, uh, which is the American stat, uh, do generate a lot of waste. Um, approximately 5.1 million tons of feces annually, which is about the same as 6.6 million people. Yes, we've got. I've got in the UK 1.2 million tons of dog poo. Yeah, poop they've got here, and uh, 200,000 tons of cat waste, which is tends to be from cat litter and yeah, 
you know, outdoor cats will go and bury it in a garden. Often the next door neighbour's garden. Again, comes with problems as well. Obviously, that comes with problems as well. You know, the the dog poo in, obviously, poop bags is becoming a rather large... Yeah, but then on that, again, this is American, but around 40% of owners apparently do not clean up dog waste. And you would think, well, apart from it being unsightly and the fact that somebody might step in it, it's probably better than being in a plastic bag. But it actually comes with quite a variety of problems leaving it on the floor yeah. because they, the, the dog waste contains quite a lot of viruses and bacteria and parasites, which can actually wash up into, for example, our rivers and waterways. Yeah. But it also impacts wildlife and human health as well. Yeah. So leaving it on the floor is also not a solution. Um, from the cat point of view, you've mentioned that a lot of it's cat litter. Yes. And quite a lot of cat litter is produced from clay. And that's really not very sustainable, not only because it doesn't break down in a landfill, but also the sourcing of it's really not sustainable. You have to do something called strip mining, where you remove vegetation, remove trees, remove rocks, remove topsoil to obtain the clay. So it's really quite uh, land uh, use. Destructive is is a much more efficient way of saying that. And it also impacts things like erosion. Uh, the other cat litter you see quite often is silica gel base, which again is not very sustainable and has a really high CO2 emissions as far as um, manufacturing. Yeah. So don't leave your dog waste on the floor. And also the cat litter choice is, is interesting. I'll get that into solutions. Um, but yeah, you've touched on it. The other problem with dogs is you pick up the poo. Well done. That's good. Then you stick it in some plastic. That's not great because, again, it's not going to break down in landfill and it just contributes to our plastic problem. It it all goes into landfill, doesn't it? Although there are now, apparently there are councils now that are incinerating it. I bet that smells great. Yeah, I bet that's lovely. (laughs) First thing in the morning when you just got into work. Um, But, yeah, mostly it goes into landfill. So it's kind of counterproductive, isn't it? You're picking up the poo and you're sticking it in a plastic yeah. bag and it's going into landfill and those plastic bags can take thousands of years to yeah. degrade. So so the solutions for this one are pretty obvious. For dogs, pick your poo up. Um, pick your poo up and put it in a biodegradable yeah. bag. Instead of plastic bags, find an eco-friendly one. It, there actually, are lots now. There are loads. Yeah. You, even just like, we, we obviously bought some from Sainsbury's uh, during our week in Devon. They're all biodegradable. Yeah. That is the That's way to the do That's the solution, it. yeah. Um, one thing to say it's the same, it's the same with um, cat litter before you get well. to cats Sorry. one thing to say <laughs> Sorry. before you jump ahead sir quite a lot of dog poo bags are sometimes marketed as biodegradable but are not actually biodegradable it's a clever little bit of green, green washing ah, so okay. it will just be you mean they're lying yeah that's basically what green washing is it's just <laughs> yeah, a nice little environmental much, yeah. lie pretty much uh, it's normally just have a little look on the back um, and they'll say plastic free or something like that and that's fine but sometimes they'll be like oh this is biodegradable but actually there's some sort of it's weird like plastic. wet wipes isn't it yeah. for your toilet oh it's flushable is it's it it's flushable is yeah, it, is it though? Yeah. yeah so Same it's just thing. Sometimes it takes that extra 30 seconds just to have a little read on yeah. the bat to see what they're made out of. And anything that sounds plasticky is not going to be very biodegradable. Yeah. Um, cats. I'll let you take it because I interrupted you. No, I was just going to say that there's an awful lot of um, biodegradable and much more sustainable cat litter uh, products around now. Yeah. Um, lots of different uh, substances now that are much better. Um, so it's just a case of... Uh, and I guess it's like all things when we're talking about trying to be more eco-friendly, it might cost you a little bit more money. Yeah, um, for the time being. For the time being. And often I, I perfectly understand why that puts people off. It's the same as why people buy 
cheap plastic bags instead of biodegradable ones because it's you know they're I don't know fifty fifty p for a packet or whatever. And it's the same with all of these things that we're talking about. Inevitably, it's always a slightly bigger cost. Yeah, but normally, and it's real, it's a bit of a, uh, a slog and a long time, a long term goal is the more people that buy the products normally yeah. can drive yeah. the price down yeah. at the moment because fewer people are buying it's it. It's all They've about got to, demand and supply, yeah. isn't it? So, um, um, But there are lots and lots of, uh, there are lots and lots of much more biodegradable um, cat litters around. Yeah, um, apparently you can even get them, well, recycled paper, grass yeah. seed and renewable yeah. wheat. Oh, okay. That's interesting. The other thing I'll quickly say about cats is sometimes you see the advice of just flush the cat's poo down the toilet. Yeah, no, that's a bad. Not with any bad. litter, but sometimes people are like, just do that. Our sewage is is meant to take that. You don't. They carry quite a lot of diseases that sometimes can slip through yeah. our sewage treatment. And obviously, the Rivers Trust getting an early plug here. We've mentioned through my work, sometimes untreated sewage, I say sometimes quite a lot, untreated yeah. sewage ends up in our rivers anyway. And cat poo does carry quite a variety of diseases well um, and the same for many other medical treatments we've given them which we will come on yeah to, which i'll come on um, to next actually next, um which yeah. can impact wildlife humans and just the ecology of of the waterway so yeah. you do sometimes see oh here's an eco tip flush your cat's poo down the yeah. toilet it's no, not it's a bad thing not advisable mm. find a eco-friendly pet litter and if you're putting it in a bag, a biodegradable bag as well. Yeah. So you can buy, for example, the biodegradable dog poo bags to scoop the cat litter into. Yeah. But on your little mention of uh, the other way they can contaminate waters, we might as well move on to the the pesticides. Yeah, this is one actually that has shocked me a little bit. Um, as far as, you know, we, we give our cats flea and worm treatments and tick treatments and, you know, your vets persuade you to do it on a monthly basis. But I've been quite disturbed by these chemicals that are used yeah. in these uh, treatments and just how bad they are, not just for the environment, but also potentially for your your cats as well. They're, they're nasty. Yeah, actually. and I mean, this is... And this some of these have been banned in the use for agriculture. uh, agricultural use, um, and we're still using them. Yes, yeah, And so there's no monitoring or regulation that seems to be a, being applied to controlling these chemicals. So this is a good one for you, because I know this. you've recently done a post on your... Instagram. Yeah, we've you? actually got a whole blog, and I'll link the blog because yeah. um, a lot of the information has. Yeah. I have taken it from that, and I've. This was part of the motivator for this topic because when we did the Instagram post, for example, we sort of assumed that maybe there'll be a little bit of backlash because people don't like having their pet ownership demonised. Yeah, which obviously we yeah. mentioned we try not to do here. But actually, every time we posted about this topic, we've not had any negative comments. The comments are always. I had no idea. <laughs> well, my my reaction, yeah. exactly. And um, so lots of people have come to us and been like, I actually, this didn't even cross my mind no. and it hadn't crossed mine. No. And so it's quite a uh, an interesting topic because, like you say, it's not something that many of us think about. So like you said, we treat our cats and dogs for things like fleas, ticks and worms. Um, and these normally like spot on treatments yeah, where you sort front line of, and yeah, and you stuff like dab that. them on the back of yeah. their neck contain quite a variety of pesticides. Yeah. Um, and we've said in the UK, we've got around 10 million dogs, 11 million cats, and about 8% of them receive very regular uh, tick, flea and worm treatments. And reason why this is a proper little plug is there's been a recent analysis of, of environmental agency data by the Rivers Trust and Wildlife Countryside Link. 
and it's shown that three insecticides are used widely in these treatments, which I'm going to try and pronounce. Which Some is, of them are really, really yeah, tricky, aren't they? I'm got, looking at that one that's Ima. Yeah, I'll get, so, get on to that one. We've got Fipronil, <laughs> yeah. uh, Permethrin, yeah. and the most controversial Neonicotinoid, yeah. which is they're often in the news for their ability to kill bees. You didn't attempt Imidacloprid. Imidacloprid. Yeah. Yeah, so which is a neonicotinoid is probably how you say that. Yeah. All of these are present in English rivers in concentrations that are deemed to be not safe. I've got a little stat there. Um, research has found that fipronil was found in 90, 99% of the samples from 20 rivers that they did tests in. Yeah, so they are quite prevalent. Yeah. Um, and like you said earlier, this is despite the fact that these chemicals have been deemed too toxic to be used in agriculture. So there was a big push, however many years ago, completely forgotten, to ban neonicotinoids. Oh, it was, be- back, in, it was back in the 80s. Yeah, because of the impact that they have on our yeah. bee population. So that whole group of chemicals was banned as a pesticide for crops, but they're still in our Can I give you another little stat on that? Which far is quite, away. Which is quite disturbing. One monthly flea treatment for a large dog contains enough imidacloprid to kill 25 million bees. That's just one flea treatment. Yeah. It's, it's very, very it's aggressive. incredibly potent. And mm. if you think that what these treatments are trying to attack are invertebrates, being fleas and ticks, and bees are also mm. invertebrates, insects, and they're, they're very... Well, they're closely enough related that they're going to not be discriminatory. They're not going to just attack fleas. They're going to yeah. basically just wipe out any insect or invertebrate it comes in contact yeah. with. And obviously, we, we frequently focus on bees because of their uh, value as pollinators. And, and obviously, a lot of bee populations have struggled. But in our rivers, you've got things like insect larva from mayflies and dragonflies who are particularly vulnerable to these chemicals. And not only are they lovely insects to see uh, they're also really valuable well, food sources important. for yeah. fish birds and bats so yeah. it ends up impacting the entire ecosystem if you start wiping i mean we've mentioned it before if you impact the insects it's just a, a chain of, uh, of events it, that impacts everything it does lead me to the question on how is this level of chemical getting into our waterways how is it getting into our rivers there's quite a few ways obviously um Dogs are a bit, little bit easier to explain. A lot of them jump in rivers. Yes. And so if their fur is covered yeah. in these uh, chemical treatments and then they go and jump in a river, it ends up in our rivers. I guess you think it's such a small amount you're putting yeah, on the dog. It's very but potent. it's very, very aggressive, isn't it? Um, you've also got ways of if you're... Um, lots of people bath their dogs. Yeah. They, they give them a rinse down in the shower, which then rinses anything from their coat down the drain. Uh, if it's on your hands and then you're washing your hands, yeah. it goes down the drain. If it's got onto your clothes and you put it in the washing yeah. machine, it's going down the drain. Cats, if they've got it on them, they're going to go and get rained on. It yeah. gets washed off the cats yeah. and washed into the rivers. Again, the same uh, being if it's on your clothes or on your hands from applying it to and your I suppose pet. with 34 million... It doesn't or, take well, a lot. Sorry, 24 million cats and dogs in this country, and that's happening on a daily basis, yeah. an hourly basis around the country. So it is... It's a combination of the direct impact of dogs jumping in waterways yeah. and then the indirect impact of it just all going down our sink. And if, like you've said, one flea treatment, if anybody's ever done it, which we probably have done, it's a very small quantity of liquid, has the ability to kill, what is it, 30 or 60 million bees. Um, even a, a drop or two making it to the river and a drop or two from everybody who's doing it adds up yeah. quite quickly. So it's it's sometimes hard to visualise how... 
a small drop on your hands going down the sink could have that impact. You just have to look at it over the number of people who are all doing that at the same time. Yeah. I think there's been times. a lot of um, criticism of the government um, as far as that's concerned because apparently, you know, they were made aware years and years ago yeah. the urgent need to ban these chemicals and there's no regulation and no. they're still being used in pet treatments. Yeah, and I've actually got that despite the restrictions on agricultural use, the sales for veterinary use have actually gone up. Yeah. Uh, they've increased over 40-fold in the case of imidacloprid yeah. <laughs> since well, I, uh, I have, from I have 1997 to, to I have to say, since doing this research, I am stopping, um, I'm stopping using this on our cats and I'm going to go and find a... There are, there are lots, again, there are lots of Well, I have some solutions. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say before the solutions is currently uh, the Rivers Trust, as part of 24 organisations who are a combination of environmental and veterinary organisations, are currently calling on the government to take action yeah. by signing a big letter, yeah. essentially. So there is currently a, a, a push to ban all pesticides from pet medicines if they are not permitted in agriculture. If they've been deemed to be so unsafe that we can't put them on crops for insects... They should not be safe to be put on our pets, which will eventually end up in the environment as yeah. well. It, and it is funny because um, one of my cats react, does react to the front line. And it does, I mean, it they're either, really concentrated. It either stings him and it's something he's saying. We've stopped using yeah. it on him because he's he reacts to it really badly. And it's a very, I'd say it's a very aggressive yeah, chemical. It's a, it's a harsh chemical to put on, mm. put on a skin. And um, I feel really bad now because I've, having read this report about these chemicals that are being used in these treatments, I realise just how... Um, you know the potential for harming your animal is also quite high. Some some animals have reacted so badly that they've they've died from using yeah. these. Um, you know that's a very unusual case, but they're they're not nice. No, they're, they're, I mean, and it's... and we get we get to a certain extent encouraged to use them. And I read a thing saying you know even through the winter we don't need to use flea treatments in the winter because fleas invariably will thrive in warm conditions in warm times of the year and through the autumn and winter they're not actually it's not actually necessary to use a flea treatment maybe a worm treatment but not flea treatment yeah i mean a lot of the stats for how frequently people are treating their pets is, is normally in excess even if even if these treatments weren't bad for the yeah. environment we still typically go a little once bit a month. over the we're, top we're, we're being told to use them once a month so um, but there are solutions um there are chemical free alternatives for treating um, and preventing fleas. I found um, loads actually. Th- yeah, there are. We can put some links in. There yeah. are quite a lot. There's also more preventative measures you can take, like regular grooming. A clean coat is typically a, a lot less appealing to fleas. Um, if you're, it's, this is more for dogs than cats because cats are very rarely bathed, but but dogs frequently are if they've gone rolled in something yeah. horrible. Uh, you can get a variety of sort of shampoos that contain things like uh, neem oil, lavender, or rosemary, yeah. which all naturally repel fleas. Um, it's also things like regularly washing pet bedding and uh, hoovering and stuff like that, which you can sort of yeah, citrus things it. are a good citrus uh, products are a good thing to use, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, once again. Uh, small caveat if you're going to start using funny shampoos or anything with your with your pets it is it is good to check with your vets yeah um again we're not vets but it's just there are quite a few a lot of these aren't very aggressive anyway um i I read for cats you can dip a flea comb into apple cider vinegar i bet they'll love that and (laughs) so your cat smells of vinegar for the rest of the day but apparently it's very effective I'm going to try that. I'm not suggesting that you do. <laughs> um, but if you still want a 
a treatment rather than or to go on top of the sort of good habits that that can can prevent uh, fleas and and worms the the thing to do is just have a little look online there are yeah. there are a lot of chemical lots, free yeah. um in the same way that we have lots of chemical free ways in the garden to prevent pests there's similar yeah. ways to do it actually on our pets as yes well. i am i am actually stopping using frontline and these spot-on ones now i'm going to find some alternatives definitely yeah. but that it's just a really interesting topic since this region yeah. research has come out so and like you you alluded to with the with the stats about how many of them or how many river samples were found to contain them they are really really prevalent if you yeah. think of how long we've had pets and how many yeah. of us are treating with them and yet no, no no one ever really stopped to think of oh yeah this might actually just end up in as everything does in our waterways everything seems to end up in the waterways yeah. doesn't it back into the rivers and out to sea out to sea in our water table and what have you so um yeah yeah so I'll, I'll leave the link to the to the blog um, with all this information, and I'll leave the the link to some of the other websites that cover it because I've only touched on it quite briefly, and it, and it is interesting. And it was was one of the reasons why I was like, let's talk about pets because this is I had no idea. No, honestly, with the certainly with the flea treatment, it's not something I'd thought about. And I guess the use of any chemicals, you should think about it. But I mean, you've gone chemical free in the garden. I've gone completely chemical free in the garden. I used to put all sorts of things to you know to stop the slugs eating my plants and the green fly eating my uh, roses. But I've stopped all of that now. I spent this uh, summer, spring and summer, just picking green fly. Yeah with my fingers off my roses and it's worked absolutely brilliantly so and i'm hopefully trying to get insects in to do the rest so uh which is which is working i'm putting lots of nectar rich plants in and and what have you anyway that anyway that's a, another um, subject which i'm all, as always covered. i'm very conscious of how many um how much i've got to say so we can nip through the next one because it's not dissimilar to waste it's just the plastic waste yeah uh, oh, I've got a stat. You know, I like a stat. You do like a stat. I want to hear it. I've got a stat here. Uh, so 20.8 million dogs and cats consuming just one tin or unrecyclable plastic package of cat food per day results in 7.6 billion containers being manufactured each year just in the UK. That's a lot Add of plastic. Add to this another 3.6 billion plastic bags for picking up the estimated 1.2 million tonnes of dog poo, and there's your problem. Yeah. It's a lot. And I mean... It is a lot. From toys to bedding yeah. to the food to grooming. Lots of plastic, plastic. packaging around the pet toys yeah. and accessories and all of those things that we pamper our cats with and our dogs with yeah and i'll do only one more stat before this section gets all numbers is in north america apparently pets generate around 300 million pounds of plastic waste yeah um and pretty much all of this ends up going to landfill and if you just it doesn't take a lot really if you just sit and think of how many silly little plastic toys we've bought for pets um and dogs for plastic chews or, or whatever it is they really are uh just Riddled. Apparently, we spend seventy pound per person on average um, on our on cat toys and pet toys per person. Yeah, that probably tracks. Probably. I mean, my cat's quite simple, and while this is plastic, um, his favourite toy is the lid from a Pringles tube. Yeah, so it is plastic, but it's um, I'm reusing it. Yeah, well, that's one of the recommendations, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Is to a reduce the number of plastic toys that you provide and play with your. Play with your pets yes. more. Um, um, the the only other thing I'll say as far as the impact is 
not only if, if you've got you know, plastic in landfill, you've got to think of all the microplastics as well, yeah. which not only damage the planet, but can actually be quite bad for health of the pets and wildlife. Yeah. Um, so the, the, sim- the solutions for these are really simple. Look for eco-friendly pet products. There's loads made out of wood or cardboard or biodegradable plant materials. Uh, there's a, a massive market now for environmentally yeah, so friendly also, pet toys. Um, you know, we we tend to just chuck our pet food pouches in the bin, but actually a lot of them you can just uh, rinse out and put in for recycle. Yes. A lot of them recycle, and we don't... How how many of us do that? How many of us wash our food pouches out and put them in the recycle uh, My bin? The wet food that Loki eats is uh, comes from a tin, so right. that's always washed out So and there's all sorts of little things like that. Um, when you think of how many, like I've just said there, how many... Um, 7.6 billion containers um, but that, a lot of that can go into recycle yeah so. it's, it's no different to trying to pick out what our products that we've bought for our own food no different it's, it's just, just be an extension of that yeah it's just sometimes we don't think and, that and, also, and I'm as guilty as anybody else and that's another thing that I'm going to get my head around and making sure that I do I think quite often especially like the wet food pouches they're, yeah. they're a bit grim aren't yeah, they because they are some sort of like yeah. so it's it's not particularly pleasant no. to wash them out but it, no. it's a small thing to get to get no, over i'm going to make a, a, a definite and beyond that effort. obviously going back to our very first segment look for make sure you look for food that can be uh that the packaging can be recycled yeah. so it's, it's both before and after yeah. purchasing really. well i think again a lot of the um i buy dry cat food as well as wet cat food and a lot of them now are putting them into paper bags yeah. as opposed to the plastic bags or the you know the um, polythene nice, bags, like and cardboard and plastic uh, so paper. Lots of paper bags now are coming on the market with cat food in, and that's great. And they say the metal tins are quite recyclable yeah. as well. So, um, so all of that, all of that helps. Yeah, and now the very last section is potentially the most controversial, uh, but I think we would very justifiably be accused of overlooking it if if we didn't touch it on it. It has to be mentioned. Is the impact of our pets just directly on wildlife, yeah. and so. There's cats and dogs are responsible for this. Cats are the ones that often take the brunt of the uh, criticism, being that they are obviously very well known for killing small animals. And very birds. well documented the, uh, the the effect apparently. Yeah. Um, so, for example, suppose I think this came from the RSPB. Cats can take over 100 million wild animals in the UK every year, and at least 27 million of those are songbirds. So, yeah. the there are there's sometimes research arguing you know, how well is this monitored, um, how sort of reliable are these figures. But anybody who has a cat, who's an outdoor cat, will know that at times they will bring in a mouse, a vole, yeah. a bird, or something. Yeah. So there is a very they are natural predators. So yeah, so there's a very direct impact from cats, being that they are hunters. There isn't a lot of very accurate information about the impact, the the, the long term. And short-term impact on populations of birds. Yeah, I mean, whether it's actually creating a decline, there's there's the actual evidence is quite flimsy. But, but I guess it is tricky it, because, for example, outdoor cats have been banned in Australia yes. because they cause the extinction of something yeah. like three or four oh, species. I, yeah, I don't doubt. Um, they have but an mainly because whilst we don't have them in this country anymore, we did have predators like lynx, for yeah. example, whereas Australia lacked. Uh, a feline equivalent yes. predator and so you introduce them and the wildlife doesn't really know what to do yeah there's no defense mechanism and they became a real problem so I, i'm pretty sure they it is banned to have an outdoor yeah. pet cat in australia because of the impact but for in the uk the 
yeah, the research for the long-term impact on specific populations yeah. is not as uh, solid as people think. I think everybody assumes they're causing the, the extinction of everything, but they do kill. They do kill native wildlife. Yeah. I mean, I must admit, I've got two outdoor cats. Um, they do bring mice in occasionally. They don't tend to kill them. They'll bring them in and play with them, and I've been very lucky in being able to rescue them. Yeah, I not, rescued one when I cat sat. Not, not all of them, I've got to admit. I've had the odd one that I found dead on the kitchen floor in the morning. But, for, you know, the, my cats are now five years old. I think they've had one bird in that five years and I managed to rescue it um, out of the jaws and it flew off fine. Um, but I don't doubt. You yeah, know, that, I mean, our old, they, our old cat actually brought a grass snake in once, yeah. alive, which we did rescue, yeah. but he actually brought a snake in. Yeah, actually Floyd did like... Floyd was a bit of a bird killer, actually, when uh, he was younger. Yeah, younger. so there, there is an undeniable impact yeah, on cats there. Yeah, we'd be lying if we didn't say that we admit that that goes on. Um, dogs cause slightly less direct impact, but they are particularly problematic as far as um, wildlife disturbance. They're one of the biggest causes of wildlife yeah, disturbance. Beyond, after things like the direct habitat loss yeah. that we'd cause... Uh, dogs can be quite problematic, especially with uh, ground nesting birds. Yeah, very much so. So things like curlew, corn bunting, skylark yeah. are all known to be really vulnerable. And uh, research shows that 66% of ground nesting birds are in decline in the UK, which is compared to 31% of the other species. So it sort of shows that the ground nesting animals are at a particular risk. Yeah, And obviously you as a RSPB ranger, part of that is trying to stop or uh, educate people on how to behave with their dog around ground nesting. Oh no, birds. definitely that's one of the one of the things. And it actually, one of what I have learned since I've been a ranger is it's not just at ground at nesting time uh, where it's very critical that you keep dogs um, under control on those nature reserves. It's also this time of year as well. I've, you know, at the moment in the winter, the nature reserves have an awful lot of overwintering wildfowl that come in. And they've migrated in from, you know, a long way. Brent geese, for example, have come all the way from Siberia to Pagham to overwinter. And what they're doing is they're coming into overwinter. It's rich feeding grounds. They feed themselves up. They then go back to their breeding grounds and they're strong and healthy to carry on breeding in the spring. So it's also an incredibly important time. So sometimes I think people just think, oh, well, it's it's not nesting time, so it's fine. But actually it's it's very important that dogs are kept um, on leads at, at both of these times during yeah. at nature reserves and just in general because dogs running in and out of rivers and salt marshes and it's not just ground nesting birds or overwintering wildfowl it's it's amphibians it's the whole ecosystem um, really little mammals we talked about water voles all sorts of things that are trying to um, either hibernate They're also or very overwinter. Sus- yeah, very susceptible to disturbance, and and yeah. humans yeah. are putting enough impact on them. Yeah, without, absolutely. Without so it's it is that awareness of your dog and the impact it can have on the wildlife. I think is something that people like. I I think are getting more and more aware of. But yeah, no, under- um, I have already seen. You know, I have seen a few and have had to have a little chat with a couple of people uh, recently that have just let their dogs go running into the salt marshes without a thought and then calling them back and then throwing a ball back in for them and you know so there are people that just need that bit of yeah, guidance let's say following on to that i mean i'll touch on the solutions for cats afterwards as we've already sort of started with the dogs um 
obviously we've we've also mentioned to clean up after them that that has an impact yeah. on them but yeah short leads in in wilder countryside and especially in nature reserve to minimize disturbance and often these places especially the rspb reserves will have a lot of signs up and it's just this actually obeying well there signs. are definite areas where you are asked to put your dog on a short lead yeah. and and in fact these nature reserves now are so good they'll give you dog walking alternative routes around the reserves and they create um, you know, Pagham, for example, has got dog-friendly routes to get back to the visitor centre and what have you, which take your dogs away from the sensitive areas, and you can walk your dog uh, off a lead. So it's just a case of reading the signs and, and being aware of uh, of the environment around Yeah, and you. there are some really good initiatives, and I'm, I've got another little uh, Rivers Trust plug here. So, for example, uh, the Neen Rivers Trust have just set up a campaign called the Neen Valley Woofs, which I really like. And they obviously admit that some of the biggest users of the Neen Valley are dog walkers because yeah. it's a stunning place to go yeah. and walk your dog. So you can't alienate them and say you're banned from this area because it's a place that people want to reconnect with nature with their dogs. Well, and of so, course, and walking your dog is one of the healthiest it's things. It's a great way great, to get outside. Fantastic, yeah, of course. And so the, the campaign is all about trying to reconnect people and their dogs to, to nature and, and they will put on uh, nature-friendly walks and then educate people on how to be responsible in yeah. something where there's delicate nesting yeah. uh, areas and, and wildlife areas. And so it's a it's a real educational campaign on let's all take our dogs for a walk, but here's some tips and here's how yeah. to do it. And I think you can get like a little uh, little pin to put on your dog thing to say I'm like an eco-dog or something That's like great. that. I, I can't that. remember what the pin was. Yeah. I'll put a link to the campaign. Yeah, no. Like so there are now these initiatives and groups out there where people are getting together to not only enjoy nature but make sure it's done responsibly and yeah. nobody wants to say oh you can't go to this beautiful beach with with your dog it's just make no, sure and you nobody you know dogs love water and they love going into rivers but you know sometimes if your dog goes into the river just encourage it to stay in there a little while rather than it coming in and out and in and out it's sometimes, you know, they have a little swim around and then come out, but don't try and encourage them to go back in. Yeah, all disturbing the time. it all the way down so, the river. So, obviously, dogs love, you know, they love water, yeah. and, and nobody wants to, say, to, to criticise that in any no, way. And, and it's, it, it, like, whether or not it's at a nature reserve for science, quite a lot of beaches nowadays also just have sectioned off areas. Yeah. And it's just being respectful yeah. of those and, yeah, and understanding the impact that your dog can have. Yeah. As far as cats go and their direct impact of being rather efficient hunters is, well, the, the best thing to do is have an indoor cat because then they can't hunt. Um, my cat is is indoor and to be honest, part of that is also I don't trust him outside. He's a bit of an idiot. Uh, he, runs in, he runs into doors. <laughs> yeah. I don't trust him not to run into cars. He might be one of the few cats who'd go out and then forget how to get home yeah he's not very smart um, <laughs> he's adorable he's lovely <laughs> but the number of times i've seen him run into a door i do not trust him around traffic yeah. so he is an indoor cat but i also understand that for example my partner and i tried to adopt a pet adopt a cat for a long long time and a lot of the cats that are up for adoption have grown up with access to outdoors and they don't allow you to take them if they're going to be an indoor yeah. cat so yeah. some people can't keep the cat indoor they've gone and done the really wonderful thing of adopting a cat that's been stuck in a home for however yeah. many years it's a really lovely thing to do it's more environmentally friendly to adopt a pet than to buy one from a breeder uh, but often the the rescue centres won't allow them to go to an indoor-only yeah. uh, place. So 
inevitably there are outdoor cats you can obviously do things like a cattery where they get spaced um outdoors but they're not i think it is isn't it oh yeah catio so they they have access to the outdoor but not your auntie has one she has a lovely one she has a lovely catio yeah for those who do have cats that are outdoors and and you know they've had however many years with that freedom and you don't want to suddenly lock them inside there's a few things you can do to try and reduce their impact um supposedly playing for them Uh, playing with them rather for five to ten minutes each day can reduce the number of prey they bring home by 25 yes it's quite traumatic because it's sort of that they've they've got that instinct out of them they've got their hunter energy sort of source so actually with a bit of string or a laser point to get them you know quote unquote hunting something indoors will reduce their need to go out and uh satiate that desire outside um, a collar with a bell or that's brightly coloured. Um, yeah, I must admit, I don't like collars on Collars cats, have but... different issues, but a collar that makes them a less effective yeah. hunter, if they're ringing a bell when they run after an animal, the animal's got a bit more warning. I have, I have, I did read that cats actually get to learn how to hunt with a collar yeah, and a bell. They're pretty, they're they're quite pretty smart. efficient, aren't yeah. they? Um, the other one is uh, there's some dietary changes that can reduce their need to hunt. Supposedly more protein-rich diet reduces yeah. their need to go out and hunt. However, that's potentially in conflict to our insect and protein-less-rich yeah. environment. Yeah. So there's a bit of a toss-up there. Um, and supposedly neutered pets roam less far yeah. because they're not out sort yeah. of looking or, or for a mate in, in the same way. And so that reduces sort of their uh, area of impact. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've found other ways as well. I, I, You know, people that have listened to us before know that I'm... A, obsessed birds and bird photography so i've attracted a lot of birds into my garden two green finches this morning Um, two green finches this morning but i've got uh, bird feeders and i put them high up in uh, congested areas in an apple tree where it's really tricky for a cat to get any kind branches yeah really difficult for a cat to get any kind of traction on or, or to get anywhere near a bird i tend not to put food on the ground i have um so you know that that way be mindful of it isn't it if your cat is an outdoor cat and also i you know i've i've got lots of log piles and wood piles and there are lots and lots of places for um little mammals to escape and hide and where cats can't get to they can bury themselves inside a a log pile if cats try and chasing them down um and you know i i said i think in five years i've had my two cats in this garden they've had one bird that i know of and i've seen that they've brought in um i never see them up in the tree trying to catch birds i see them sometimes sitting watching them but you know so there are things that you can do in your garden yeah. to try and minimize that and, and i still think it's and in fact it is much more beneficial to the biodiversity to attract and continue to try and make your garden as wildlife friendly as possible and attract birds and insects and mammals into your garden it's that it's a much higher impact uh, and benefit for biodiversity than um yeah keep, I certainly don't you know, think you should give up on a wildlife garden because because no. even if you don't somebody in the neighborhood will have well, a cat exactly that's the thing isn't it they I'm are surrounded everywhere. by cats so if my two cats weren't in the garden looking at so birds then somebody else's be. will be so these are just so there are things that you can do to think about you know where you're placing the bird feeders and things so that the cats 
have no easy access to them. Just make sure you give them a nice run around in yeah. your house as well. Yeah. So, um, but I have no idea. We've probably spoken for a long time because I had a lot of notes. Um, yeah, we're just about onto an hour. I oh, reckon. there we go. We, every time we're like, oh, maybe this will be a short episode. No, we chat a lot. But I think so, we're, we're pretty much covered yeah, most so things here. And I've only got a few things just to wrap up, and they're mainly the caveats that we that we yeah. started the episode with. You know, pets are a massive part of our lives. We're a nation, particularly in the UK, of, of animal they're lovers. They're great for your mental health as well. We Loki <laughs> really good for has you. done wonders for us, and yeah. I, I love them to pieces. Yeah. So we're not suggesting people should be not having pets or getting rid of them. And it's also a really important, as I think we've said before, we as people have a much bigger impact than our pets ever Definitely. do. And on uh, wildlife. Yeah, and we can and talk about environment, the disturbance and, and potential erosion from cat litter production. But compared to bulldozing a land to put 500 houses up, yeah. we are the biggest impact yeah. here. But if so many times, like earlier episodes, we've looked at coffee and tea and wildlife gardens where a lot of us are trying to reduce our impact on the planet and especially like per household and our pets are part of our household so it's still part of our lives that we can try and be responsible definitely uh, as far as the environment goes uh, whether it's making a sustainable choice and choosing a smaller dog because they have a smaller environmental impact than a massive one uh, adopting pets rather than buying uh, from breeders choosing a more sustainable pet like a, a rabbit or, or, or a tortoise but even if we already have our pets or, or for whatever reason, whether it's our their food, their toys, the waste disposable, how we treat the, the pests that afflict them, there's lots of things that we can do just to try and minimise their impact slightly. Which, as always, if every pet owner across yeah. the country does it, all those tiny, tiny little choices to have a plastic-free packaging and not to put spot on, that yeah. adds up massively. Well, that's the perfect example of that is what we've already talked about. We're putting a tiny spot of flea treatment on the back of our dogs and cats' and necks. 30 million of them. And just one dog going into the river with that probably wouldn't make a difference, but, but when you've 12 got... million of them do. Yeah. So, so it's And the... it's the same thing for us. It's exactly it? the same exactly as the same thing. everybody choosing plastic-free yeah. coffee filters. One I mean, doing person... this research has certainly made me think of, um, think... You know, like I said, about these chemicals that I'm using on my cats. Yeah, and there's also um, so much like plastic tat as far as yeah, pet toys. Definitely. Like, uh, when all they really... You get a bit of re, um, biodegradable string yeah. and your cat's going to be happy. Yeah. So... It's just about us all making small choices and then hopefully that impact will accumulate across yeah, the 30 million definitely. pets. Um, so, yeah, keep your pets. We love ours. <laughs> we but do. try and be responsible as yeah. far as the planet goes. Yeah. And I'll leave some nice links in the in the show notes for uh, wildlife-friendly dog walking and more information about the pesticides and, and everything like that. Brilliant. I've really enjoyed that one. Yeah, actually. and it's a nice excuse for me to stick a picture of my cat on my Instagram. Yeah, me too. I've got two, so I'm going to put both of mine up. Yeah. Except my, one of my cats has got a scratch across his nose at the moment because he's been out having a fight. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but um, but yeah. yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. Hope it's been interesting and useful, and we'll catch you next yeah, time. Yeah, thanks very much, and we'll yeah we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. <laughs>